listening to the official podcast of the Mission Redlands. We are a growing community living out God's radical love. Amen. You may be seated. How you guys are doing this morning? What? That was like a grunt. How you doing this morning? Uh, that's what I heard. All right, let's try it again. I'm sorry. You you were trying to you were trying it again, and I wasn't quite ready. So let's let's, let's try it again. How you doing this morning? Woo! Yes, awesome, very good, man. Um, I'm so glad you came to church today. Not not this building, but that you came to be a part of the church because this building isn't the church in case you didn't know this you and I together are the church and so thank you for coming to be a part of church this morning and I'm so glad you're here have you ever had the feeling that something wasn't quite right something wasn't quite right that maybe something was off a little maybe unfinished or or just plain wrong oops Plain wrong altogether. Today we actually have um, all kinds of social cues that if you're aware of them, and not everybody is, um, if, 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 <laughs> if there are social cues that if you're aware of them, they'll let you know that something is not right. Like, for instance, when a newscaster says, breaking news, right? Breaking news. We immediately prepare ourselves for something bad, right? Like, uh, the alarming events that usually follow those words, um, breaking news, are usually in the realm of, like, a car chase or murders or scandals or uh, the tweets of political leaders, right? <laughs> I mean, seriously, when was the last time you heard the words, breaking news, a litter of the cutest puppies were born today, and as shocking as it is, they made fast friends with a new litter of kittens, and they were all playing together, and they fell asleep in a big pile of yarn. Got my picture? Oh, okay, there it is. Right, right. Uh, more at 11, right? More at 11. <laughs> That would be awesome if it was real, but unfortunately, we usually know what's coming when they use the words breaking news, right? But it's not just the news. It's, um, there are also social cues within our day-to-day relationships that will point that something is off, like something's wrong, like maybe something not good is about to happen. Like, for instance, before I had kids, I would go over to my friend's house and, and he had two kids, and, and I would hang out there sometimes, and we would have these great long conversations about music, and, and it was awesome, except for the fact that I basically couldn't hear him half the time because his house was really loud, like he had two boys like I do now, and, and, I, and, I, and I mean like... Really, I would be talking to my friend and there would be loud crashes and the sound of like devastation everywhere to the point where it like made me uneasy before I had kids. And, and, and I'd be like looking around to make sure the kids were like still alive and, and while he wasn't even like phased, like he wasn't phased at all. And, and I, I'd say something like, uh, you want me to go check on them? <laughs> and, and he would be like, oh, no, they're fine. They're fine. 
And, and, and we would try to continue on our conversation, and pretty soon I would find myself being able to focus on the conversation a little easier, and about the time I was taking a deep sigh of relief that the noise had calmed down, he would all of a sudden be like, get all worried and like rush into the other room, like, oh my gosh, something's wrong, you know, I got to go check it out. And, and, and uh, what I didn't know then that I do know now, because now I have two boys, is that when you are a parent and you have kids in the home and you know they're not asleep, quiet is bad, right? Quiet is bad. uh, when, When the kid noise goes silent, you know something not good is going on because either they're trying to be sneaky or they're unconscious, maybe. I, I mean, um, all things are possible with, with boys. But uh, see, for you non-parents out there, like, when you, hear the noise, when you hear the noise, at least you know they're alive, right? <laughs> like, you, you just know they're alive. So these, these cues within our relationships don't just apply to parents, uh, but couples as well. My friend Amber, who was singing today, shared this really funny Facebook meme this week. Uh, and and I laughed so hard because it's so true, and and it definitely spoke to the to the cues that let you know something bad is about to happen, like or something's wrong or whatever. And the, and the meme said, I don't remember exactly what it said, but it said something like, "Fellas, if you're ever talking to your wife and your girlfriend, um, and she says, well, go ahead and do what you want to do.'" Do not do what you want to do, in fact. Like, do not do it. Don't do it. In fact, apologize right then and there. Either apologize or just fall down to the ground and close your eyes and play dead. Because whatever it is that made her said those words is not going to end well for you. I promise. Husbands, am I right? Am I right? Right, okay. Piece of advice for all you single guys out there, so... Uh, well, we've been in that, we've all been in that moment where we can just sense something is wrong, like, or something is not good. And I, and I used to wonder if God had that feeling after he created Adam. And when we look at Genesis 1, we see the description of the creation of the world. And I'm sure many of you have heard this story, but for those who haven't, uh, Genesis 1 lays out each day uh, of God's work for creation, and and day one He created light, and day two He created sea and sky, and and on day three land and planets or plants, not planets, plants, land, plants, growth. Uh, day four God was was feeling particularly creative, so He made sun, moon, and stars, and on day five God made all the fish and birds. And, and, and on day six, God brought to life all the animals and even breathed life into us humans, right? And, and God gets to the end of day six, and he looks over everything he's created and, and called it good, you know? And, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his work. And I know this is kind of old news for, for some of you, but I find it fascinating, honestly, because if you keep a close eye as you read Genesis 1, you notice that at the end of each day, God looks over everything he had made that day and saw that it was good. And it's all 
pretty cut and dry, except for in one case. And just before the end of the sixth day, before God's final declaration of all that he had created was good, and he rested, God had to make one adjustment. And if you take a look at Genesis 2, we get more detail, a more detailed account of the creation of mankind. Uh, God makes Adam by creating him out of the dust of the earth and breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. And, and the first thing Adam did was sneeze because it was dusty, right? <laughs> Dad joke, sorry. <laughs> Anyways, God created the Garden of Eden and, and, it, and filled it with trees and rivers and wildlife, right? And God places him in the center of this paradise and puts him in charge of keeping the garden. But as he does this, God notices this fascinating thing in Genesis 2.18. God says, this says something really profound. And in 2.18, it says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. It's, th think about that for a second. It is not good that man should be alone. Adam is in the Garden of Eden, right? Surrounded by complete perfection because this is actually before the fall happens. He's surrounded by complete perfection. He has an unprecedented relationship with God the Father. And, and God says, it is not good that man should be alone. How does that sit with you? Doesn't that seem like it should come after the fall? He... he, he after declaring day after day that it was good in all creation's perfection, the thing that God saw that was not good was for man to be alone. And we're closing out this teaching series today called Pardon Our Dust. And honestly, I think it's been one of the most challenging series we've done in my time at the mission. And it's been so good for me personally and I hope it's been good for you too. Uh, through the last several weeks, we've been talking about how we are all a work in progress. And each of us have been challenged to examine our faith for cracks. And so that we can be sure that Christ is truly at work in us. And these cracks I'm speaking of can cause us to stall out in, all our, in, in our discipleship and keep us from progressing. Uh, we need to identify and address these cracks in our faith so that whatever Jesus pours into us, we retain and, and not let it leak all over the floor. And we've been using a set of questions to help us recognize the cracks in our faith. And, and on week two, Professor Ricardo spoke to us about how we know if we are a true disciple of Jesus, how we know we are a true disciple of Jesus. And if you have accepted Jesus as your Savior, like truly accepted him, you are a disciple of Jesus. Yeah, he, he reminded us that there are no classes of discipleship. Uh, there, there are no super disciple category. Like we 
are all just in process, and absolutely no one is perfect. Ricardo said we can know that we are a true disciple of Jesus if we walk daily in repentance of our sin and not grow indifferent towards the pockets of sin we may be comfortable with. And Principal Brian Bell spoke to us uh, last week about the truth about God's word, and he, he asked us, do we believe in the objective truth of the Bible? He, he reminded us that sometimes we are tempted to just take the parts of the Bible that we like and forget the parts we don't. And, and that believing the objective truth of the Bible means that God's word is as true today as the day it was written. That the whole of the Bible is God's word and his truth is for all people. Uh, that the Bible can be trusted and is a lamp to our feet in the darkness, helping us to stay on track in the process of becoming more and more like Jesus. That brings us to today. And today's question is, how do I grow through the family of church? How do I grow through the family of church? And now, don't mistake my words. I'm not talking about how we grow the church. Uh, that's God's job. And he, and he said that our job was to make disciples, right? And, and he would build his church if we made disciples. And, and church leaders across the world are, are guilty of getting that wrong, me included. And, and we think it's our job sometimes to build the church when our focus should be on making disciples. And, and I can honestly say that we are more focused on that job and more serious about it than we ever have been before at the mission. And, and we aren't discussing how to grow the church. We are focusing today on how you can grow through the family of church. And, and, and we are a family, as Ricardo was, was, was talking to us about earlier. And, and I, I just have a few thoughts I want to share with you on this. Uh, when I begin to think about how we grow through the family of church, three things occurred to me. Um, the first one is something that I feel like I say to people almost daily. It's like almost the most regular thing I say to people, and, and it's this, and you've probably heard me say it if you've been around me any, any time at all, and it's this. Isolation is one of the enemy's most effective tools in prohibiting your growth in Jesus. Isolation is one of the enemy's most effective tools in prohibiting you, your growth in Jesus. The devil wants to keep you quietly subdued in loneliness so that you have no reason to change or progress any further. No one to spur you on or to help encourage your faith in times of trouble. Isolation keeps you stuck. But the good news is you weren't meant to go through this life alone. You were not meant to go through this life alone. Romans 12, 15 and 16 reminds us that as Christians, we are called to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn and live in harmony with one another. Sometimes I think we think it's our job to uh, make those who are mourning rejoice and make those who are rejoicing mourn. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we get it backwards, you know. Um, 
But it says rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn, live in harmony with one another. That means being there for each other in both times of joy and devastation. And for me, I think sometimes the hardest part of that verse is the implied act of having to open myself up and allow others to rejoice with me and mourn with me. I'm so happy to be able to do that with others, for others, but for me, the other side of that is difficult. And when, when you are there for others and don't allow others to be there for you, that is still isolation, my friends. You weren't meant to go through this life just being there for others. You weren't meant to go through this life alone because Christ carried our burden, a burden that wasn't his, all the way to the cross. And as Christians, we are called to be Christ-like. And that's why Galatians 6.2 says this, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. That means I allow you to bear my burdens with me. And you allow me to bear your burdens too. And in that way, we reflect what Christ did for us to each other. And in that way, we can't help but grow. The second thought I had is a little bit more complicated. And, and it goes beyond just being there for each other through the good times and bad. But to grow effectively in Jesus we need each other. Like, we need each other because as Christians, we make up the body of Christ. And 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul spells this out for the church at Corinth. And, and we're going to skip around a little bit in this chapter, but let's begin at verse 12 where it says, for, for just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body. So it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And skipping ahead to verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? Where, uh, where, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose, for all were a single, uh, if all were a single member, where would the body be? And skipping again to 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We need each other to grow effectively in Christ because together we make up the body of Christ. And we all have different strengths and weaknesses. With, with what I do being a pastor, I got to tell you, I, I, I take a lot of criticism. And, and honestly, sometimes it gets a little hard to bear. But I'm so thankful that some of the most powerful voices from within our church are the people gifted in the ways of encouragement. Encouragement. 
And, and I can honestly say that I can't tell you what that means to me on, on some days. And without those voices, I probably would have given up on being a pastor a long time ago. And, and, and it's the same for you. There are people uh, gifted in ways that you aren't, and you need their gifts as much as they need yours. And Paul was addressing how in the church sometimes we do a disservice to each other by placing honor on one set of gifts and not another. But the truth is we need them all. And, and they all are honorable if they're honoring Jesus. And so I say let the singers sing. Let the encouragers encourage. Let the artists create. Let the techies get geeky. Like let the teachers teach and the lawnmowers mow. Like we need it all. And all of it is honorable. And in a culture where rock star pastors and worship leaders are raised above all others in, in churches worldwide, I believe we need to take a step back from that and let honor flow richly through every member of the full body of Christ. As my brother Coffee Mark says, from the coffee to the mic, right? Right? That's right. We need each other. We need each other. And this leads me to the next thought that I had. This is why we need to be intentional about our kingdom connections and interactions. We need to be intentionally looking for opportunities to use our God-given gifts to spur each other on. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says this, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as, in the, as uh, is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That word consider, that word consider to me says that we need to put thought into our connections to others in the body of Christ. We need to be intentionally intentional in stirring up one another to love and good works. Paul goes on to say that we shouldn't neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. There is this trap that believers of all ages can fall into, and it has to do with going to a bunch of different churches and never choosing intentionally to put roots down. Some people go to different churches depending on who the speaker is that day or who the worship band is, and, and they end up just church hopping for the best consumer experience. And I, and I say that as an observation, not a, not a judgment, but the thing people miss out on while bouncing from church to church is the intentional relationship with others. And how is Ricardo supposed to stir me up to love and good works if he doesn't see me for two weeks at a time, right? Like, do you know that the average Christian family attends church 1.8 times a month? I think the point eight is because one Sunday they ducked out at the offering. Um, <laughs> 1.8 times a month across the U.S. And, and I don't say that meaning to guilt trip anyone. That, I want you to know truly that is not my heart. But the truth is uh, we are becoming, the church as a whole worldwide is becoming more and more consumer-minded. 
But that's not the example Paul speaks of when the body of Christ is working together in unity. That's not what it looks like. There's a, there's a give and take to working together, but, but with a consumer mind, all there is is, is take, right? And Paul speaks uh, of each of us intentionally doing our part for one another so that the whole body, the whole body can accurately represent Jesus, right? This means intentionally stirring each other up to love. So to recap, we can grow through the family of church by one, choosing to bear one another's burdens and not choosing to do life alone. Two, by recognizing that we need each other and that together in unity we make up the body of Christ. And three, we can grow we can grow by being intentional about our kingdom connections and interactions looking for opportunities to spur each other on as the band comes i just want to share one bonus thought with you um remember how at the beginning of the message we were talking about how god uh, saw adam in the garden and decided that it wasn't good for man to be alone. You remember that? I suspect that there was a little more to it than just Adam needed a helper. I actually am not sure that it had anything to do with Adam at all. I think maybe that, and this may sound crazy to you, but, but maybe it had more to do with God. Uh, in, in Genesis one twenty six. At the tail end of the chapter, God says something very interesting. In 26, it says, then, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Did you catch that? Let us make man in our image. See, we believe that God is triune, which, which means that we believe in one God that has three divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three in one. Some people know this as the Trinity. One divine person without the other is not God. The three together, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, our God. So the point is this, that if God himself is made up of three uniquely united divine persons, and we are created in his image, we can't fully reflect the image of God alone. Therefore, if man is created in the image of God, who is three in one, it's not good for man to be alone. I want to tell you that I, I personally wrestle with isolation. And... 
And if you're here today and you're experiencing loneliness in your life, I want you to know that you're not alone. That there are people here who would love to be in your life, to do life with you. And I just want to specially invite you to stay after church today. Right after church, we're having lunch together. And we're going to talk about our small groups. Just a brief presentation. And we're going to eat food together. And it's going to be a good time. And I want to encourage you to stay. Because I know what it's like to experience loneliness. And if you're just here and you're looking to take the next step in your connection here at the mission, this is the perfect opportunity. So I want to invite you to stay after. You are listening to the official podcast of The Mission Redlands. For more information, visit us at themissionredlands.com.